This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Tech and information guru, author, journalist, speaker, media analyst and commentator on all things IT, and founder of Worldwide Works, Arthur Goldstuck has recently launched uh, his 20th book, entitled The Hitchhiker's Guide to AI, A Handbook for All. It provides an overview of the past, present, and future of AI for both beginners and those who are experts. I'm delighted to have him as my guest now. Arthur, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Cherise. It's great to be back in the studio in person again. Arthur, I went to my local bookshop to try and get a copy of your book, and they told me it was sold out. And not only that, but it was sold out in all that bookshop's chain, which means it's uh, extremely popular. It's doing well. That's fantastic to hear. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) uh, I did tell my publisher that someone had told me that uh, Cape Town Airport was sold out. So just this morning they were restocked. I'm delighted to tell you. (laughs) That's great. I will be there quite soon, actually. So I'll I'll pick it up there. Uh, Arthur, you've been in the IT world for a very long time. Can we just reflect for a few moments on that experience from when you started to AI now? I always had a passion for science fiction and I started out as a journalist focused on areas like music and soccer. I was a big soccer fan. Um, I still am. But in the early days I thought I could make a living from that and I discovered I couldn't. Music journalism, I couldn't. Tech journalism didn't exist. But um, more years ago than I'd like to say, um, those who might remember when Halley's Comet last uh, came around, I discovered that the Johannesburg Planetarium was using computers to track Halley's Comet or to help track Halley's Comet. And that caught my imagination as a science fiction fan. And I wrote a feature on it, which I submitted to what was then SAA's in-flight magazine. And that was a massive breakthrough for me because it was one of the first consumer tech features written in this country and my first technology story. And after that, I was hooked and I kept looking for tech stories. And then when I joined the Weekly Mail in the early uh, 90s, uh, we agreed to start a computer supplement called PC Review. And that was the first consumer tech supplement to a a newspaper in South Africa and we were also the first to start writing about this new phenomenon called the internet and writing about that led to me writing uh, my first IT book which was the the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Internet of course inspired by the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy but that was massive and it became the biggest selling IT book in South Africa ever and that really has almost um I could almost say uh, was the launch pad of my career as a tech consultant, researcher, and speaker. But initially, I just wanted to tell people how this thing works. I mean, it's beautiful in a way that you started with um, so, uh, the in-flight magazine, and now your 20th book is sold out at the airport. I mean, do you it's, see the connection? I hadn't <laughs> thought of that, but that's such a great point uh, that you make. In, in fact, airport book sales uh, today are almost the, be- the benchmark for success oh. of, a, of, of any book. So it's, it's a great connection you just made there. Arthur, we rely on you to know what's happening in the tech world. Where do you get your information from? I would say that from writing that initial guide to how to use the internet, 
I myself have lived my message, which is to use the internet to stay abreast of everything uh, that is happening. But more important than that has been a kind of insatiable curiosity to know what's coming next. And that again goes back to being a science fiction fan. And I should maybe mention that that science fiction passion began when I grew up in a very small town in the southern free state that most listeners would never have heard of called Tromsberg. We were the only Jewish family in Tromsberg, in fact, for many miles around as well. And that, that little town had a small library with a small shelf of books devoted to science fiction. And I devoured every one of those books by the time I was 10. Oh. But one of the things that that resulted in was me having this dream of living in a future that was like those science fiction novels. W- w- was it a dream leaving the free st- a tiny little dorpy in the free state? Oh, that was very much part of the dream. <laughs> <laughs> Being in such an isolated uh, town, I could uh, only dream of escape. And as a child, my escape was through those science fiction novels. And eventually I did escape, went to Wits University, and have lived in Johannesburg ever since. I love the city, I have to say, I despite the potholes. And I have a passion for the city as well. But uh, it's amazing to see this, those science fiction visions becoming reality one by one. Even the Gau train is a science fiction vision become reality. Every time I go on it, it just amazes me that it even exists. Mm, it is incredible. And I share your love for the city. Uh, when you started off with the internet, and you say you use the internet to keep abreast of things, um, I'm an avid reader of your column in The Citizen on the latest gadgets and all the rest. It's not just one gadget or one computer or one part of technology that's changing at the time. It is everything. Our, the world that we know is a different world to what it was 20 years ago. The internet might have been the first. Mm-hmm. But subsequent mm-hmm. to that, there's so much. How, how, how do you keep abreast on all that is happening? So I'm very privileged that I get invited to tech conferences around the world and tech launches and I'm hosted at these by these tech uh, companies otherwise it would be impossible to actually attend them but um, one of the stories I tell in the book is of um, the Amazon Web Services uh, conference in Las Vegas in 2017 it's called reInvent and it's uh, the world's biggest cloud computing conference uh, there are some that are similar size, but probably the most significant cloud computing conference in the world every year. And up to 2017, the big announcements every year was around cloud computing and what you could do in the cloud and what Amazon Web Services was making possible in the cloud. That year, the focus was almost entirely on artificial intelligence, which was something that fascinated me, it's something I knew about, it's something I'd read about in science fiction, and it's something I was looking for becoming reality. I mentioned earlier this insatiable curiosity about what's uh, coming next, and it was obvious for many years that artificial intelligence would be one of the next big things, but it just wasn't arriving. End of November 2017, it suddenly arrived on the keynote stage at the AWS conference. And the CEO at the time, Andy Jassy, who's now the CEO of Amazon.com, so the holding company of AWS, um, unveiled something like 22 new AI features that would be available um, on the AWS cloud. And four of those I describe in the book and I outline them. And those are the predecessors to what we now know as uh, 
large language models like ChatGPT and Google Bard and Microsoft Bing AI. That was actually presaged by one of the uh, tools that they announced there. Another one was something called SageMaker, which South Africa's banks actually used to create tools to detect fraud mm. in their systems. Excellent. And um, there were a few others like that. And I wrote at the time that um, these all seem like science fiction, but in the next five years would become mainstream. And I had no idea that sucking out that number five years would be so prophetic because five years to the day ChatGPT was launched. We are going to talk about ChatGPT, but before we do, do you have any predictions as to what, what's next? Yes, I was actually giving a lot of thought uh, to that and looking at the uh, way uh, distant history of AI, where it came from and the influences that went into it. And um, putting together all of those influences to try to understand what uh, might come next. There's two kind of equivalents to ChatGPT and Google Bar that I see becoming reality uh, fairly soon. And the one is what I call, they talk about large language models. We're probably going to see large fact models in the near future because anyone who's used ChatGPT will know that it makes up things. It doesn't know everything. Google Bard also, it invents information. If you ask it to tell you about yourself, it will make things up. Uh, because they're language models, they uh, predict what uh, words should follow each other and then put those together. What we need are fact models that actually can pull together facts and okay. almost create new understanding out of existing facts. But it can't do that if it's making it up. The other big thing that I see coming soon is going back to almost the um, original concept of AI, which was in a paper written by Alan Turing in 1950 about something he called the imitation game. In fact, the movie made about his life was called The Imitation Game. And the imitation game is really uh, saying that um, a machine that can um, communicate with you in such a way that you don't know it's a machine has essentially become uh, the almost the equivalent of, of uh, human intelligence. And uh, I believe that uh, what all of these AI tools will produce in the near future is the culmination of the imitation game, i.e. Um, uh, AI that imitates humans to such an extent that we don't know that it's AI. Right now, you can still tell you looking at AI, talking to AI or dealing with AI, but you'll be able to put out a version of yourself sure. online that people think is you because they can't tell the difference. Does this worry you, Arthur? No, it excites me. Does it? <laughs> um, I interview a lot of CEOs of tech companies around the world about what they see coming next. Almost every time I interview one of them, my stock question is, what do you see coming next from AI? And the common denominator in what all of them tell me is that they expect us all to have a um, personal not assistant, but companion who guides us through everything that we do. Well, everything in which we want to be guided. And examples I've uh, been given are, for example, that every child will have their personal tutor at their side, helping them to understand 
concepts, understand their homework, helping them do their homework, probably maybe even doing it for them, mm. <laughs> but certainly helping them to do it and helping them through it when they struggle. But the key to that is not just someone who's going to help you uh, or, or do your homework for you. It's not about cheating. It's about understanding where each individual is in their learning process, in their progress through the syllabus, through the school year, and guiding them based on their own specific personal issues, needs, and level. So everyone gets a personal tutor that is geared to their personal needs. Now extrapolate that to medicine. Everyone gets a personal medical advisor uh, doesn't replace the doctor, but augments the doctor. And you don't have the doctor on call. Well, maybe some of you do all the time. But you can have your personal medical guide on call 24-7 to tell you why you might have heartburn, uh, for example, because you forgot you had too much of that really good single malt whiskey along with the curry. Um, but your AI will know and will remind you and then tell you also what to do about it and what medication not to take, but um, essentially streamlining your life for you. Extra expand that to legal advice. You can have your legal advisor on call 24-7. Some of you do, I know, but every one of us can have that legal advisor available to us at any time. I remember having a conversation with Professor Chilitzi and saying, what are the dangers of people replacing um, you know machines replacing people and he said to me people are not rational right and it was quite like something I always knew but I'd never heard expressed and it resonated but we machines are not human they are not they're rational and they probably could advise better in terms of your symptoms possibly than a doctor can but there's something lacking are we going to replace whatever it is that's lacking? Maybe it's irrationality, maybe. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, the shortcomings of humans and of uh, machines. Uh, humans, as you say, are not naturally rational. <laughs> that's the difference. They can be, but they have to be helped to be rational as well. And I do believe AI can help them be rational. So these AI assistants or guides I'm talking about uh, in effect, it helps them to become more rational in how they respond to what's happening in their lives. Helps a child be more rational about how uh, they do their homework, how to understand um, their homework instead of panicking that they don't understand it. Um, helps a doctor to not miss any um, symptoms or issues that should be integrated into their thinking. Doctors are probably the biggest problem uh, with regard to AI. They don't recognize how much it can augment them. They see it as a threat that's going to replace them. And that's not the role AI is going to play. And regulators will ensure that AI cannot perform the role of a doctor in the absence of a, do a doctor. Arthur, I'm going to stop you there. It's not just doctors who think they're going to be replaced. Teachers think they're going to be replaced. Everybody thinks they might be replaced by AI. Are we going to be replaced by AI? Not if you're good at what you do. <laughs> if you're good at what you do, you'll understand that AI will make you even better. If you're bad at what you do, you're going to fear that AI will replace you because AI will be better than you in its own right. But a good teacher, augmented by AI, is going to be a great teacher. We have to look at the, the negatives of AI. And of I cannot help but think of Yuval Noah Harari, who says that because of language and because we don't know if we are talking to a computer or a person, it can manipulate us. 
Of course, no, there's no question about that. And many people are using it to try and manipulate um, others. You may have heard of the term deep fakes yes. that is suddenly becoming current. I talk about that uh, in the book. But um, the issue with deep fakes at this stage is that it sorts out the gullible from those who are uh, cynical or capable of critical thinking because most deep fakes just take a bit of critical thinking to realize that it's someone making something up. It's uh, someone manipulating images or videos um, and uh, the like. But the extent to which AI tools are improving means that within the next year or two, deep fakes will be almost indistinguishable from mm. uh, the, the real thing. That's a massive danger. So there does need to be regulation that stipulates that it's a crime to create fake information uh, that you disseminate as a truth using AI. And I do believe that's going to be part of AI regulation. People say you can't regulate AI, but then they said the same about privacy. And today we have the Poppy Act, the Pro Protection of Personal Information Act, which is inspired or based on um, the uh, General Data Protection Rule, the GDPR in Europe. Europe's always way ahead of everyone else in terms of coming up with uh, rational wealth thought through regulation of technology. And GDPR was a great example, which ex was ex um, adapted into the Poppy Act. Europe now is also the leader in coming up with regulations for um, AI um, dissemination. And I believe that we eventually will adopt those same regulations. They're still being refined, but we'll get there in the next few years. And I do think that will help protect us from deep fakes. So that's one area. The uh, other area, of course, is um, AI being used for hacking for cyber crimes. That's a major threat. But then at the same time, AI tools are the antidote as well. And every cyber security company in the world is aggressively working on AI defense tools. So one of the key pieces of advice for the future is always keep your um, cyber security tools on your computer current and also start looking into protecting your phone with cyber security tools. There's a lot to be aware of, but there's also a lot to be excited about. I'm very excited about the current state of AI, where it suddenly um, emerged from years of promise, and I'm even more excited about what's coming next. Do you want to quickly punch your book? The book is called The Hitchhiker's Guide to AI, and it's written in such a way that uh, the subtitle of the book, A Handbook for All, really does apply because someone who knows nothing about AI can read it as an adventure story because I tell my story about uh, traveling around the world, discovering AI in use. People who are more advanced can read the technical sections. There's a chapter on uh, how to prompt AI because that's a key. A good prompt to AI gets good um, output. A bad prompt gets bad output. And then also I look at specific professions and specific categories of use. So almost anyone in the business world can uh, get a tremendous amount of value out of it. I also talk on this on the subject, uh, speak professionally, but also at organizations like Ort. And in March, I'll be giving a talk at Ort on the Hitchhiker's Guide to AI. And I'd believe there's no cost to attend that talk. Arthur, I've already got an idea for the next discussion I'd like to have, so I'm sure I'll see you before March. But if anybody would like to see uh, Arthur at all, please be in touch with them. 
Um, just to say thank you so much for joining me. That was tech and information guru Arthur Goldstack talking about his latest book, Hitchhiker's Guide to AI.